We have been going through a study, a series of teachings in the Bible relating around the topic of wrestling with God. So when you're 20-something, there's probably a lot of questions you have and you feel like typical Christianity gives you terrible answers. Let's just be honest. Just, they're really bad. And that's probably because a lot of Christians, unfortunately, they kind of like live in this like Christian commune, utopia slash weird thing where it's like, at first you get saved and you start going to church and then you're like, I don't want to spend any time in the world. I just want to be in church. But then after a while, it's like, well, then you don't have any real relationships with anybody who's not Christian. So then how will you ever make an impact on the world if all we do is stay inside the church? So then church people read church books and talk about church things. And then slowly the culture inside the church completely is unaware of what happens outside of the church. So then you have questions, but then you feel like you really can't ask those questions because if you ask those questions, it's like kind of taboo. So what do you do about unanswered prayer? What do you do about suffering? And then when everybody comes up to you and you're suffering and they just tell you like the most cliche Christian things, God's working it all together for good, brother. Hey, I'm praying for you. And you're just like, how about I just, I, can I just be sad? Today, I just want to be sad. So that's, that's what we've been talking about. And uh, the last time we got together, we talked about predestination and free will, another hot topic. And tonight, uh, we were going to talk about sexuality. However, uh, to be quite honest, I was like, you know what? I just, I don't feel like I'm ready. So I'm going to wait just one more week because I feel like, although I obviously have beliefs and I have thoughts and I know what the Bible says, I feel like the way I articulate it, I just want to be absolutely sensitive and sure of what I say. So because of that, I'm waiting a week. So instead, you're getting a bonus message. And this one, I'm calling Desperate for a Blessing. Desperate for a Blessing. And so what we're going to talk about, which I think every Christian struggles with, is what do you do when you are searching for God to bless your life and it seems like it's always outside of your grasp? So how do we relate to the blessings of God? You have prosperity gospel preachers on one hand who say, man, you will be blessed. God's desire is that you be healthy and wealthy and that you would live a long life. And he's like, oh, that kind of sounds good. And there's probably a Bible verse in there. Yeah, sure. And then there's others who say, no, God's called you to suffer and he's called you to die for your faith and you're going to be miserable and on your deathbed, you'll see Jesus it'll all be worth it. And you're like, okay, I guess that's what Christianity is. I mean, there's verses in there. Yeah, sure. But uh, how, do we, how do we relate to blessing? So we're going to talk about that tonight by exploring the life of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. So let's read verses 1 through 21. It's a big chunk of scripture. Don't daydream. I know you will because I would if I were you. And we'll pray and we'll talk about it. So Genesis 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus says your servant, Jacob says, 
I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's also coming to meet with you. And 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people that were with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, all right, if Esau, my brother, comes to one company and attacks it, then the other one, which is left, will escape. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant. So I've crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the land of Esau, for the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged it that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 females, donkeys, and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one saying, now, when my, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going? Who are these in front of you? Then you shall say, these are your servant Jacob's. It's a present sent to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed up the drove, saying, In this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. And afterwards, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. Let's pray. Lord, we are desperate for you to move in our lives, desperate for you to use us in a powerful way. And we pray, Lord, that tonight we would understand the good things that you have planned for those who love you. Help us to pursue you, to not lose heart, Lord, when the world looks enticing, deceptive, that we'd be willing to hold out, to not let go until you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had desperate prayer before? Desperate prayer. A prayer where you're saying something to God like, God, if you just give me this, I will read my Bible every single day. I will go to church. I will give my life to you. If you just give me this relationship, give me that job I always wanted, help me to get into the school that I always wanted to get into. Lord, if you help me dig myself out of this financial hole, if you help me to dig out of this pit of shame I'm living in and all my friends have left me, if you get me out of this mess, addiction to drugs and pornography, get me out of this, I will do anything. I'm willing to do anything. Maybe you have a time like that in your life you can think of. I remember times like that where I would pray, Lord, I'm so desperate for you to move in my life. The only problem is I felt like I had nothing to offer God in return. I felt like giving my life to the Lord really didn't mean much. I mean, other people could give their life to the God and, and use their musical talents or use their gifts as an athlete. But what did I have to offer God? So it was just, Lord, please answer me. Please bless me. Now, Jacob, if you follow the story, he was named Jacob because the name Jacob means heel catcher. He was a trickster. 
So when he was born, his mother, Rebecca, had him and his twin brother, Esau. Esau was easy. His name was Harry. That's what Esau means, because he was, I guess, a furball. I mean, how hairy do you have to be to be named Harry? But apparently that's what Esau was. I mean, that is totally, by the way, a name that I would give to my child. I mean, I know Jenna wouldn't have, but if Nova came out and she was just covered in hair, I'd call her Harry. I'd be fine with that. So Esau's Harry, and then Jacob, because he grabbed the heel of Esau so he would try to get out first, he was named heel catcher. And all throughout Jacob's life, he was a trickster. He was one who was always trying to get ahead and scam other people. And so what happened was, when Esau and Jacob in Genesis chapter 25 were together and Esau was born first, technically, Jacob had grabbed his heel, right? But still Esau made it out first. So because of that, in the Jewish culture, he had the rights of the firstborn, which means that everything that was his father's would become the right of the firstborn, would be his, would be Esau's. The blessing, the land. Abraham was a wealthy man. You know how you hear about the patriarchs, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was supposed to be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. And so Esau is starving to death and Jacob's waiting for the opportune time. And as Esau is starving to death after he just had a long day of hunting, Jacob comes out with this red lentil stew. And he says, check out what I got. And Esau's freaking out. So I don't know how hungry he must have been, but he was freaking out saying, I'm going to die of starvation unless I eat that right now. And so he gave himself for a bowl of stew. Jacob said, I'll give you the stew, but you have to give me your birthright. Meaning like, I, I was always confused as a kid, like, what did that mean? I mean, like, God's like, oh, I forgot who was born first. It must've been Jacob. Obviously he wasn't born first. It was the rights of the firstborn, meaning he's entitled to receive everything that's his father's. And so right then and there, that is a picture of how sometimes we give up what's eternal for something that's temporary. We give up the eternal pleasures of the thing that's fleeting, that we know isn't gonna satisfy us for forever. But Jacob deceived Esau. Esau said, what good is my birthright? What good is an inheritance if I'm gonna die now? And so he gave it up. And actually his name from then on became Edom, which means red. He went from hairy, he went to red. Because the thing that you worship is the thing that defines you. And whatever you worship, whatever you pursue, whatever you value as the most important thing in your life, that's the thing that defines you. And so Esau became known as the guy who gave it all away for one meal. But Jacob didn't just stop there. After that, knowing that his dad is gonna die, he had poor vision, he's talking to Isaac. He overhears that Isaac says that I need to give a blessing to my son Esau before I die. So Isaac had a favorite who was Esau. He's the manly man. He's the one who always hunted and he was whatever. And then his wife, Rebecca, her favorite was the son Jacob. And so Rebecca overhears all this conversation and says, listen, I got a plan. What we're gonna do is when Esau goes out to hunt for the game to make the favorite dish of your father, we're actually gonna be into it. So we're gonna disguise you. We're gonna make a stew and you're gonna bring it over to your dad. And it's gonna be his favorite meal. It's gonna be amazing. And then Jacob's just like, well, how in the world? Like, don't you think he knows his sons, you know? 
But she's like, well, he can't really see. And, and we'll just put like some goat fur on you and like put that on your arm. So when he feels you, he'll be like, oh, it's obviously my son Esau because he has goat's fur on it. Like this is, this is probably like, I know evolutionists are looking for the missing link. That might be the missing link. Like, I don't believe in evolution, but maybe that's it. That's really weird. So anyway, that's obviously I'm joking. Don't, don't cancel me, please. So I can't take any more hardship in my life. <laughs> Just kidding. Whoa, dramatic. Where'd that come from? So, uh, <laughs> I don't need counseling. I just have this. It's like, it's all open. So Jacob, as soon as Esau sneaks out, he sneaks in and goes, Father, here I am with your favorite meal. And, and he's like, well, that definitely doesn't sound like Esau, but let me feel your arm. Feels his arm is like, oh, obviously. And then he smells him. And my favorite verse in the Bible, Genesis 27, 27, he goes, ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. <laughs> I just, it's the only reason why if we had another baby, I would want a son so I could like pick him up like Simba and smell him. <laughs> so, whoa, we're getting off track. Okay, so Jacob. See, this is what happens when you write down notes, you don't type them out. So Jacob is a trickster. And he was always seeking to get the blessing. And that's exactly what he did. He cut Esau off. And then he got, got the blessing from Isaac, his father. He does this prayer over him and says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Jacob leaves. And then Esau comes in and says, hey, I got your favorite meal. And then Isaac trembling goes, well, who was the person who just was here? I already gave the blessing away. And Esau says, well, bless me too. And he says, there is no other blessing. I gave the only blessing that God would give me, the, the last blessing I was supposed to give before I die, that forever his descendants would be blessed. And he's going to be blessed. So from that point on, Esau was determined to kill Jacob. And so because he's so filled with rage, Rebekah says to Jacob, you got to get out of here. Go to Laban, you know, who, who's your uncle. And by talking to Laban, you'll be able to stay with him. And so he's fleeing for his life. And there, you see Jacob still trying to take advantage of everybody else, whether it's his uncle or somebody else, but then it starts to bite back, right? So then working for Laban for seven years, because he falls in love with Rachel, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen. So yeah, I can work seven years for you, Laban, if that means that at the end of it, I can marry your daughter. Seven years goes by and it's his wedding night. They didn't have torches. They didn't have light bulbs, I guess. So in the morning he wakes up and there was Leah. And so he's very confused. And then Laban goes, well, obviously you got to marry the older one first before you marry the younger one. And Jacob's just like completely disgusted, really weirded out and goes, okay, well, I guess I'll work seven more years to marry the other one. So he's going to be married to two people. Very strange story. It's not God's fault. It's Laban's fault. Laban's really weird. But so he tricked Jacob. So now you start to see this thing happen where it's like Jacob is, is doing shortcuts in his life, right? So he can get the blessing. And now it's starting to bite back. Now he's starting to reap some of that thing that he sowed. And I think that sometimes we feel that way too. You know that you've tried to cut corners in your life. You've cheated on a test or you've made mistakes. And so then when bad things happen, you start to believe that it's just like karma, right? This is the rule of the universe that when you do good things, good things come back to you. When you do bad things, bad things come back to you. That's just the way we feel. And we feel like that's probably the way that God operates. That's probably the way the universe works is if I do good, I will probably receive good. If I do bad, I will probably receive bad. 
And so now Jacob all throughout his life is receiving some of that same trickery that he got into in the first place. So now when we're reading Genesis 32, all that to say, as a background, when we're in Genesis 32, realize that Esau has now found Jacob 20 years later. And so Jacob's servants are saying to him, you, you gotta be careful because Esau is coming to greet you and he has 400 people with him. So Jacob is terrified and he doesn't know what to do. So what he, what he says and what we read in that chapter was, he's like, I know we're gonna get some gifts. We're gonna get some sheep. We're gonna get some livestock. We're gonna send them out to Esau and hopefully he's gonna be appeased and his wrath will turn away from me. And so at this moment, as Jacob knows that he's in, in trouble, he prays this desperate prayer. Let's read it again. He says in verse nine, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as a sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. So Jacob realizes he got himself into this mess. And this was something that was gonna follow him. He knew the Bible verse that says, your sin will find you out. He knew it was, it was coming for him one day that Esau would come back to destroy him. Fast forward when Jacob has uh, adult children. Remember Joseph, one of Jacob's children is sold into slavery. And Jacob hears that his favorite son, the one that he gave the coat of many colors to was uh, killed by a, a wild beast. When it, in reality, he was just tricked by his sons. It was once again, this concept of, you know, you get what you, uh, you reap what you sow. The things that you're doing are coming back to you. And so Jacob is at this place where he's offering this desperate prayer to the Lord. You know, deception breeds deception. When you tell one lie, you have to tell another lie to cover up the first lie. And the more that we make a habit out of lying, the easier it is to keep on lying. The more that we deceive people, the more that we cut corners, the more that we make mistakes, the easier it is to just continue doing what we've always been doing because that's the only life you know. It's popular in our day to try to get as much money out of the thing you're selling that might be used, right? That's why the proverb says, worthless, worthless, says the seller. You wanna say the whole thing's, or the buyer. The buyer says the whole thing's worthless and then he brags because he got a bargain afterwards. So you look at whatever you're buying, like, I don't really know, look at the used car, it's got some things, I don't know if I want it. So we're used to the deception, not being honest because it helps us to get ahead, get more money, get more of the things that we want. However, we start to feel the consequences because one of the worst consequences of being a liar is you find it very difficult to trust anyone because you figure that they're probably lying just like you are. I mean, why would they be any different? The more that you lie, the harder it is to trust anyone in the end. And so Jacob offers this desperate prayer. Let's look at verse 22. What happens? How does God answer? So he rose that night, took two wives, his two uh, female servants, 11 sons, crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. 
Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you've struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed them there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank. So really weird encounter, right? So Jacob is wrestling this random guy in the middle of the night who decides to just kind of just tack him. And at some point, Jacob realizes he's not wrestling with a man. He's wrestling with God himself who took on human flesh. And so as Jacob is wrestling with God himself, remember, he's praying this desperate prayer that God would still intervene and bless him. And then God goes out and starts wrestling with him. Like, what does this mean? This is one of the most difficult Bible passages in all of scripture to understand. But here's the key. Jacob, knowing that this was God, maybe confused why this was all, all happening, did not let him go no matter what. And he says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. Even though God is wrestling with him and sees that he's not yielding, so he touches the socket of his hip and his hip goes out of joint completely and he starts to limp. So it's almost like he did like this, you know, low ball move, right? And so Jacob is now limping and he's still holding on no matter what, even with the fact that he can't, have full function and mobility. Well, the fact of the matter is, sometimes when you're struggling, you may not know why you're struggling. You may not know why God is doing something. But are you desperate enough to say there is no other option? Some of us, when things go rough with the Lord, we have a billion different things we could do, right? You can, you can call that girl or that guy. You can call the friend. Who, who you know is a dealer, you have all kinds of different avenues where you can go back, right? But I think about what the disciples said to Jesus. When Jesus was saying some really offensive things, some weird things, and he said, whoever wants to follow me must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody goes, what are you talking about? And they're really confused. Obviously, he was talking about communion. He wasn't literally talking, he was talking figuratively. But people got weirded out. It's like, okay, I guess the party's over. We're leaving. So everybody left him except the disciples. And then Jesus says to Peter, are you guys going to leave too? And he says, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I wonder how many people's relationship with the Lord is like that. COVID was messed up, right? COVID was hard for a lot of people. A lot of people stopped being Christians. A lot of people left the church. A lot of people left the church not coming back. That is like the number one question on every pastor's mind is like, how do we get people back in the church building? But I just wonder like, did you have a relationship with God that was strong enough that when you started to have 
suffering in your life, you didn't let go of him because you didn't have any other option. There's nothing else. There's no one else that I know that is real and will be there for me and loves me no matter what. So when you have a relationship like that, sometimes I think God gives us suffering so that we learn to love God for him and not for the good things he gives us. Because if God gave you what you wanted now, you wouldn't be able to handle it. Actually, it might ruin you because you would get distracted with the shiny blessing and not with the God behind the blessing. How will you ever learn to love God for God unless you love him in the darkness? You love him at the lowest point. When your sock is out of, uh, when your, your, your hip is out of its socket, when you're feeling like you're cursed, you feel like God's not answering, but you're still holding on saying, I know if I don't let go that God's gonna bless me. The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good for in due season, we will reap a harvest of joy. We do not lose heart. Do you believe that if you're in a season of sowing, that sometimes the fruit doesn't come right away? And so many people, they judge the seed when they should be judging the fruit at the time of harvest. So what I mean is, People say, my life is fruitless, but that's because it's a seed. It's not time yet for the harvest. This is the time for sowing. This is time for digging down deep roots in the Lord and say, no matter what happens, I'm gonna trust him. Though he slay me, Job says, still I will trust him. But here's the other thing that I thought was really interesting. Look at it again, verse 25. When God saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He said, let me go for the day breaks. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. So your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have, what? Prevailed? How did he, he didn't win. What are you talking about? He struggled with God and he actually won. How does that work? Well, here's how it worked. With God, the only way you win is when you lose. And here's what I mean by that. I think so many times we're looking for the rule of karma to work in our favor, right? Like if I just do enough for the Lord, then he's gonna bless me. If I do enough to get ahead, then I'm gonna receive blessings in return. But God is different than karma. See, God loves to bless losers. It's only when we lose that we win. It's only when we realize that we've lost and we surrender to the Lord and say, God, I can't win, but I'm not letting go until you bless me. It's when we surrender to the Lord and say, I can't achieve blessing on my own merit that we actually receive the blessing. And so, God says he prevailed, but not because of his own works, not because of his own strength. In fact, he had to lose his strength. His hip had to go out of its socket in order for him to receive the victory. So sometimes the very thing that you think that God is gonna use is a thing he has to take away because it's a distraction to you. It's an idol to you. This is why the Bible says that he uses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the people that are pathetic, people who are losers. So if you feel like I felt like I had nothing to offer God, what could I give to God? Yes, Lord, I'm desperate. I need you to use me, but I don't know what you're gonna do. 
It's people like that, like when God called the shepherd boy named David to be king of Israel. He doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. So the good news for you is that God does not work like karma. He works through something called grace, which means that although you've done all this evil all your life, you will receive nothing in return. Although you've been a trickster, although you've been deceptive, although you've taken advantage of people, there will be no consequences. Why? Because God took the consequences upon himself. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, past, present, and future, which means that in some weird way, you never have to pay it back. It's already been done. And that's how you feel. Like when you've offended somebody, you feel really bad inside. And you know, there's something, there's something inside of you that says like, no matter what I do, it'll never be right. This person's always gonna hate me, right? Jacob probably felt like, I mean, I took the only two valuable things away from my brother, right? I took away his birthright and I took away his blessing. And you know what happens? After this, after he wrestles with God, he sees Esau and he says like, what are you talking about? Yeah, of course I forget. You don't have to give me gifts. You don't have to give me anything. You don't have to give me any presents. And they wanted to walk together. That they were able to reconcile because Jacob was relying on God, not relying on his own strength. I think some of us would look at the battle with Esau and say, this is something I gotta, I gotta fight. I need to just muster up my own strength. I need to fight this battle on my own. But it's God who fights your battles for you. And this might be a word for somebody, but the biggest battle that you'll ever face in your life is not yours to fight. When you start looking down the road and saying, how will I ever get married, get a job, whatever it is about your future so concerned about, that battle is not yours to fight. It's God's. And the more that we trust in God and we surrender to God, the more that we can actually be victorious. So what does that mean for us? That means believing the gospel is our responsibility. Believing that there's a blessing on the other side of suffering. So when you're living your life and you're saying, I just don't understand. Like I thought that following the Lord would mean that my life would be filled with joy and it's not. I thought that following the Lord means that good things would come my way and it's not. Just remember, it's not based on your own efforts. Because usually we're expecting blessing when we think we've been doing good, right? Lord, I've served you. I've done everything right. I read my Bible every day. I deserve to be happy. I deserve these things. But your heavenly father knows what you truly need. And if we could only have his perspective, perhaps we would, we would agree with him that the thing that we are so desperate for right now is not the thing we actually need the most. What we do need is what Jacob did, to see God face to face, right? He called that place Penuel, which means, verse 30, I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. They said in the Bible, no one can see God and live because God cannot stand in the presence of sin. And yet here Jacob was able to see God face to face and still was able to prevail. Why is that? It's only because of God's grace. Flip over to Genesis chapter 48. I want you to see something. Genesis 48, verse eight. This is at the end of Jacob's life. After Joseph went through his own turmoil, 
was deceived by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, but then somehow God used him and he was put as the second in command of all of Egypt so that all of Israel would be spared during the seven years uh, famine. And so Jacob is now gonna move to Egypt for a time, knowing that eventually he's gonna go back to the promised land. But he's gonna meet his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so in Genesis chapter 48, verse eight, Joseph says, okay, now it's the time, just like Jacob received a blessing, it's time for my kids to receive a blessing. So verse eight, Israel, which is now Jacob's name, saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. And the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. Sound familiar? Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So more blessing for him. Verse 12, so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with the left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid down Ephraim's head, who was younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, let my name be named upon them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into the multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, verse 17, don't miss this part. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the hand of Ephraim, it displeased him for he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know my son, I know. He also shall become a people and he also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed him that day saying, by you Israel will bless saying, may, may God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. What does this all mean? At the end of his life, Jacob got it. Although our expectation is the person who's first gets blessed. Although our expectation is like in John chapter five, when everybody's crippled around the pool of Bethesda, and then there's a crippled man who's been there for over 40 years, and he's laying there waiting to be healed, and Jesus sees him and says, well, why are you still just standing here, just like doing nothing? Well, obviously he's a cripple. He says, well, I have nobody to pick me up and put me in the pool when the angel stirs up the pool of water so that I can be healed. Because the religion of the world is always, you gotta be first, you gotta try your hardest, you gotta be the one who makes it. And the gospel is different. It says the person who's last is actually first in the kingdom of God. Whoever's least among you will be greatest in the kingdom of God. I heard a pastor once say, now it's possible that you may be the worst Christian that's ever lived, ever. I mean, it's gotta be one of us, right? So it could be in this room. You may be the worst Christian. You still struggle with sin. It doesn't look like there's any change in your life and you're miserable. 
And the Bible says, whoever's least in the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of men will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. God's values are upside down. God, when he arrived in a form of a baby, he didn't show up in a palace. He showed up to shepherds. He showed up to people who were forgotten. And when you feel pathetic and you feel like there's no blessing in your life, God is there wrestling with you. If you would just hold on, you don't let go. You can see God's hand of blessing so that you can be Jacob one day and you could look back and say, surely God has blessed me. The angel of the Lord has removed evil from my life. He has kept me fed these days. He's kept me healthy these days. He's shown me his grace, but not according to what I've done. Because if I got according to what I've done, what I deserve is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And if you place your trust in him and you surrender to him, you truly will see his blessing. Let's pray.